Good evening and welcome to another edition of Football Bloody Hell. On the show tonight we've got Mr. Steve Rutter. Simon Thayer. Rick Hyatt. Dave Hilda Pryor. And I shall probably contribute something to the occasion. So sit back. Pour yourself a nice vodka and coke or a scotch and soda or gin and tonic or just an orange juice. But let's enjoy and have a bit of football banter. One, mm -hmm. two, three. Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Football Bloody Hell. And I'm delighted to say that I'm back back with the team following two podcasts being away having come down with the not so nice sickness bug uh, last week so uh, full of fitness and vitality and i'm glad to say that alongside me this evening as you've just heard we'll start with mr aidy hopper how you doing aid i'm okay old dog it's the others isn't it as always as Are you always full of fitness and vitality sorry are you full of fitness and vitality well, I wouldn't say fitness, and all vitality come to that, but I'm full of something, that's for sure. <laughs> Begins we'll with B and finishes, finishes with T. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rick Hyatt joins us. How are you doing, Rick? Oh, I'm doing good. Thank you. Excellent. Are you, are you in the privy? Am I in the privy? I'm not. I was just saying just now that I've actually cleared out the office space now, so I'm not I'm surrounded by old boxes anymore. I wonder what you're going to say you cleared out then. <laughs> and lastly but not not at all least we have steve rutter who joins us how are you doing steve i'm uh, very good thank you yeah very good excellent excellent so it's just a foursome uh today we might have a little bit of sci-fi who will join us a little bit later but uh we will see if and when he does arrive um but we're going to start as we normally do with a little bit of yeovil chat because um what's been going on certainly in the last week or so is that the club have announced that they're asking for supporters opinions on um, a rebranding I guess is a good way of putting it for Yeovil Town moving forward um, I just want to ask your boys thoughts on what you think of moving Yeovil Town into the more into the 21st century I suppose because lots of um, supporters sort of split down the middle when it comes to changing of the club crest that sort of thing mottos and foundations that have been in place since the club began um steve i'm going to start with you do you see rebranding as a good thing or are you very much a traditionalist when it comes to keeping the core values and things like the badge very much the same from day one um, well, actually, I did the online survey today. Believe Ooh, it or not, actually, you'll I be primed and ready it. to tell us about I, it. So, I, yeah, I tell us done about it, it first. Yeah, of all. No, well, I, I was I was sitting here and um, 
just went on to catch up with all the football news, having been away, like, and and saw that. So had a quick look and decided to do it whilst I was there. Um, yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? Because I think the club had an identity, and we've spoken about this before, before it got promoted to the Football League. And it had a very clear place in people's consciousness. It was Yeovil Town, the Country Bumpkins, FA Cup Giant Killers, Sloping Pitch. And and that's what people associate with the Oval. So I think it's hard, if you want to move away from that, it's very, very hard to rebrand differently because that's how people see the club and will continue to see the club, I think. Um, but obviously in the modern world, the corporate world, they want to make it as, a, as appealing to as many people as possible. And as a result of that, I'm sure they will, they will make some changes. But, you know, achieved by unity as a club motto, um, I think it's been discussed many times, hasn't it, that it's been anything but for a number of years. So I'm I'm not precious. Keep keep the colours green and white. Um, other than that, to be honest with you, I don't care if they change the badge or or um, the logo or anything else. It's just it's just the way of the world. Off the top of your head, Steve, unless you do um, have the questions there in front of us, for any li- listeners who uh, are thinking about taking it, can you just give us a bit of a flavour of the line of questioning that was? Um... In the questionnaire, yeah, I mean it's just pretty sort of straightforward, really. Sort of, what's your association with the club? You know, how long have you been involved supporting the club or involved with the club? And then things like, you know, what what do you think are the most iconic things about about the club? Is it the colour? Is it the the name? What do you think about the crest? Do you want to keep the lions? Do you want to lose the lions? You know, and, and what's the best thing about Yeovil as, as a town? And how do you think people identify Yeovil and um, how can that be captured in in something that represents the club as well as the town? So just questions along those lines, really. And I have to be honest, I'm you know I I live in I've lived in Yeovil a long time, but I don't know a massive amount about the history of Yeovil as a town, how it was established, etc. So I'm not particularly bothered about the history element of it, other than the the football history, sort of post-war, um, and and that's the sort of thing that I would look at. But for somebody who's born and bred Yeovil and his family are from the Yeovil and the area, I'm sure they'll have a lot more involvement with it than me um, and a lot more understanding of what some of the questions are actually alluding to. Rick, I'll come to you next. I guess regarding on what your you know, supporters' personal stance is, I guess regardless of that, the good thing is that there's engagement there and fans are being asked their opinion before a decision is made. Yeah, and it's progress, isn't it? I can well imagine if this had been proposed two, three years ago, I think there might have been more opposition to any sort of major branding changes. But I think the last few seasons have been a period of time that most supporters would want to forget. So uh, I can see uh, Mr. Halley is moving everything forward. Brand new start. New feel about the place. So I can understand why. It's just a matter of how far it goes down. As long as it doesn't, we don't end up with a badge like Juventus's or something shoddy like that. And uh, what about the people that have got tattoos with the oval badges on? Do they get some sort of reimbursement or get a free new one or whatever? If he changes the badge, I don't know. But I think it's a good time. If you're going to do something, um, the club could do with it. The, the ground's having a lick of paint. There does actually seem to be a new attitude around the place. So if you're going to do it, I think this is probably as good a time as any to actually move things forward. I think the timing has definitely been seen as like you say, the right time to do it whilst we've got a new yeah. management team that, that have come in, sort of 
in terms of boardroom level. Martin Helly has come in. Lots of changes happening. It feels like it's very much a time of significant change. Um, Aid, what's your thoughts on this? Are, are you somewhere in the middle of keeping the traditions of the club whilst also maintaining the fact that football is moving on, we are evolving, and therefore changes do need to be made? Well, first of all, uh, funnily enough, I was actually at the club today. Um, and first thing the report is that the, uh, there's a, a, a huge amount of work going on up there. Um, the uh, seats have all been done now. And by gosh, that doesn't half look good. It really does. And you'd never think just by spraying it with hot air that you could sort of somehow revive the seats. But that's what they've done. And it really does look absolutely brilliant. They move, they've moved the um, dugouts. But I, I couldn't quite see where they were going, actually. But they're doing something to the dugouts anyway. The supporters' tent has disappeared. So there's a big hole there now, uh, which has changed. And uh, but the one thing that everybody that I spoke to, and I spoke to about three or four people up there, is the air of of this is this is all right. We're we're going somewhere. We're we're you know we're moving forward. Um, and you know they're all itching to get get starting to play the game now as well. So uh, when it comes to the club, I think it's it's a very opportune moment. If you are going to make some changes, then yeah, good time to start without any question and I can understand Martin wanting to um, engage with the supporters to make sure that he's not uh, you know committing some sort of heinous crime by changing something so if he does it with their help as well there's no there can be no sort of accusations of just going on like a, a runaway train kind of thing so um, as that's to... quite a smart move to engage the supporters in it as much as possible and, and canvas opinion and whatever rather than just go ahead and yeah. go to a consultancy or something. I think to get the supporters' input is quite a smart move, actually. Yeah, but I, th I, th I think personally, um, you know, Steve said that the older members of the sort of brigade, and I suppose I'm one of them, sadly, um, you know, I can remember back to, you know, Yeovil getting voted back into the league and this sort of thing, and, you know, it, it, it seems to me to have just sort of progressively moved on, and I'm not that bothered about changing the the branding that much, really. I mean, I, I mean, I can understand why they've chosen that particular branding at the moment because it involves the the town crest. Um, so obviously, there's a logical reason for that. But uh, on the other hand, some people might take the view that you've got to move on and you've got to keep up with uh, trends, etc. So if that's it, well, so be it. It doesn't it doesn't really bother me one way or the other, quite honestly. Uh, I'm I'm just pleased that the club is is in a situation now where it's got a, a, a genuine owner who is, is totally dedicated to lifting the club up and, and getting us back into the Football League where we rightly should be. And, uh, you know, he's, he's going at it with great gusto. So, well done, Martin. Keep up the good work. I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because if you look at what happened at Cardiff City with Vincent Tan, when he, ah. he he turned them from the Bluebirds into the Red Dragons and yeah. just changed everything about the core essence of the club without any consultation. And I think what Martin Hellier seems to have done is he seems to have, like you said, he's asking people for their opinion before he's making any steps, whether they're minor tweaks or radical changes. At least he's going to have a sense of goodwill and public backing behind him because he'll know people's feelings and obviously he's, it looks like he's going to embrace those feelings. So... 
I, th I think you have to move, you have to change things, but you've, it's got to be done sensitively because you, you, you can't have something like Cardiff City, that's for sure. No. Just leading on that same point, Steve, obviously you've been at Luton, of course, who are Premier League now. Um, they had similar in a way, didn't they? Because they they were always a white home shirt and they're now orange, which was to do with an EasyJet sponsor. Is that correct? Have I got right? that right? I'm not sure. You see, you're telling me something I didn't know. I can. It was always like white with orange and black trims and things, wasn't it? So, um, yeah, I, I don't know, to be honest. But there's, there's certainly, you know, that is a great club. If you want to model yourself on anybody, go and speak to Gary Sweet and the people behind the scenes. You know, this is, this is a club well ahead of their times. They don't accept sponsorship from alcohol, from gambling, from tobacco companies, all the, all the stuff that people are talking about now. They have a massive social footprint in the town. Um, and they've worked within their budgets and they've gone from non-league to the Premier League in like 10 years. Um, and it's a really, really well-run club. So it shows that you can do it. Smaller capacity, smaller attendances. But if the people behind the scenes are keen and they do get the public buy-in, then anything is achievable. And, and Yeovil's got a really good catchment area. Yeah, I think from one um, listening to you, listening to you boys last week, there seems to be a lot of... Uh, excitement for on the pitch now as well with Reese Murphy and uh, Jake Hyde being signed on as well. Yes, they might be, um, I think they're 32, 33 um, respectively, but if you get minutes on the pitch out of those guys, you've, we've definitely got our goal scorers there, which has obviously been uh, something that has been a little bit of a worry for supporters when you look at how many goals Yeovil actually scored last season. And Rick, I guess the only thing is that if you look at the injury records, it's not been that great of the of both players for the last season or so, particularly 18 months in Reese Murphy's case. But if they can get the minutes, then that should, in theory, equal to goals. It's, it's made Twitter very lively, hasn't it? Lots of uh, physio room gags going on there. But like you say, they're good players. So it is just, and yeah, if you can get that quality on the field for obviously for as, lo as much as possible, then um, it can only be a good thing. And, and it's the one thing that you will need. If we're going to get bounced straight back up, which is obviously the target. The fact that these lads have got experience possibly could, uh, could, could be a real asset because uh, as we all know, you don't win anything with kids. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. That's been proven. That's been proven. Well, yeah. I mean, Alan Hansen, he knows it all, doesn't he? Sorry, we're veering off that subject, Adrian, just in case he insisting. We're not we're not gonna talk about that lot. Well you well, fired just... you fired the starting gun, mate, not me. No. Well I'm just it. gonna I'm just gonna veer it off in a different direction anyway, because I said it doesn't always happen on this podcast, but I've just seen we've got a little bit of breaking news and that's um Steve, I'll go to you because it says that Darren Moore has left Sheffield Wednesday oh, after a, after a month having uh, won them to promotion. Of course, they had that massive turnaround. It doesn't say in what context, whether he's leaving to take on another position somewhere or whether he's been sacked. It just says he leaves. Mutually um, consent is what it says on my phone. Oh, oh mutual consent. You've mm. got that there as well. So, well, yeah. Surprising. Mm. Yeah. I mean, second one of the day, really, isn't it? Because Gary O'Neill got sacked at Bournemouth today. Yeah, um, and has already been replaced. Which uh, just well, should we should we should we talk about that then, Steve? Because you're absolutely right. That did happen earlier today, and they have replaced him within two hours yeah. um, with Mister Iriola, who I believe yeah. was in talks with Leeds, wasn't they? But they couldn't get that deal done. 
Um, got Rayo Vallecano into Europe, I believe, but obviously from a English fans' perspective, the majority won't know too much about him. But Gary O'Neill, we spoke a lot about how good a job he did last season. Um, what have you made of the the decision today? Um, mind blowing, to be perfectly honest. Um, given what he you know what he achieved last year and how he got them to fifteenth in the table. Um, comfortably avoided relegation with games to spare from the position they were in. I'm not quite sure what else you're supposed to do. Um, and if they're prepared to give Iriola money to spend, then why couldn't they give it to Gary O'Neill, who knows the squad and knows the players and, and knows the club? Um, I just I find it absolutely nauseating how easily English clubs will, will sell their soul to foreign owners, foreign coaches, foreign players um, at the exclusion of their own. So I feel really sorry for Gary O'Neill. Um, Darren, him leaving, that's a bit of a surprise because that's a massive, massive club, Sheffield Wednesday. Um, and if he's left by mutual consent, it's probably something to do with they couldn't agree transfer budgets and, and salary caps for the season. And he feels like it's going to be a hard sell to survive in the Championship. Just on that, Rick, I'll come to you because there is a um, there is a Bournemouth fan that rang into Talk Sport earlier, and I thought it was quite an interesting point because I hadn't looked at it from that perspective. That he was of the opinion that it probably was a good thing to do it now because the reality is that the way of the world now they'll do some transfer business with Gary O'Neill there. They'll then start the season, and then if they start the season with one draw two defeats and one win or something and then he gets sacked in September which let's face it Bournemouth might well do that because that's just how football works that that would be obviously a more of a worst case scenario for both the club and for Gary because it just means that everything that happened in the summer was pointless could you sort of see that argument yeah, but what happens if uh, Iriola loses the first few matches and finds himself in exactly the same situation? Well, I think absolutely. It, it looks to me a little bit like um, he is very highly rated as a manager. And it's a shame. I agree with everything Steve said about the work Gary O'Neill's done. But I think they were probably scared of missing out on him, thinking that potentially further down the line, he's, he's more of a long-term sort of thing than, than Gary O'Neill would have been and they just didn't want to miss out on the opportunity of, of getting him in because he is very highly rated as a manager so I would imagine that's what they're thinking but at the same time I do agree with Steve it's that really harsh on Gary O'Neill because like you say what more could he do and if anyone knows that squad and is in a position to, to make it stronger you would think it was him so it is a bit of a conundrum but I can only imagine that it is because they didn't want to miss out on Areola at this particular time that's the that's the only explanation I can think of. AD were you surprised when you saw this news broke earlier today? I was certainly surprised at the speed with which they put in, um, his replacement in two hours just getting on with it a bit isn't it but uh, I think um, I think it to a large degree it comes back to money again doesn't it because if they'd, if they'd given uh, Gary O'Neill uh, a budget to work with and he bought x number of players and as as the caller to talk sports said you know they lost the or the, the first three or four games they were, were down the bottom of the table etc and they spent x number of million on players 
and then in comes the new manager and he takes oh don't rate them and no don't rate him and don't rate him suddenly they've wasted x number of million on players that they don't want so i i suspect that's possibly another reason why they've acted so quickly um i, I totally agree with the comments that have been made that it's a bit rough on on gary o'neill because he did a, a tremendous job and you know to 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 get rewarded like that and i know he'll, he'll obviously have um he'll obviously have oh there's another wicket gone i've been uh, just informed by mr hyatt um uh, yeah to um to have you know he should have had some sort of financial um remuneration i presume for to just i suppose to, how long is his contract going you know if he had a, if he had a long contract or a short contract i don't know something well he signed a permanent contract hadn't he he was on no longer the interim manager he had actually signed a proper yeah. contract, so that's going to need paying up. Do you but think what if he'd won, what if oh, he'd won on, the first few games and, they, and uh, Bournemouth? It's like I know it's all hypothetical, but there's nothing to say that Bournemouth couldn't have won the first three or four games and they're in a European place at the end of August, start of September, and then oh, it's all hypothetical, isn't it? It's yeah. making the assumption he's going to fail. Well, I wondered whether or whether it was a case of similar to, I guess, different scales, but say the the Di Matteo situation all that way back at Chelsea where I don't think Abramovich really wanted to give him the job but because he did so well he kind of had no choice and I wonder if this is kind of the same here that Gary did so well because of the circumstances in which Scott Parker left and they felt that they had to give him the job and then he had obviously proved himself and then I think possibly in the summer it's just the ownership going well he's not really what we wanted but he did well so we kind of had but they didn't no have choice. Do you think? Do you think that's probably think a lot of it? Him, yeah, I don't think they needed to give him a full time contract, did they? They could have. The interim thing could have gone through till the end of the season. To uh, to go back to uh, Adrian's favourite subject, it's the same thing that happened with Ollie at United. You, mm -hmm. People, you cut, you come in as an interim manager, have a good run, and then people. It's the same as sacking people prematurely. People seem to think that you have to reward it with a full time contract, when actually. There was no need to do that. There was really was there any need to give Gary O'Neill a full time contract at that point? No, it was nice, but did he did they really need to do that then? But of course now from Gary O'Neill's perspective, AD, he's at least put himself in the shop window because there's teams like, you know, Leeds United who are still Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um well, yeah, quite. I mean, like, and Steve touches on, they're a massive club, and who's used to yeah. say he wouldn't go in somewhere like that because his stock will be relatively high now. Well, yeah, I think, you know, his stock's relatively high before he got the sack, that's for certain. So I would have thought that, um, yeah, you know, I mean, managers come and managers go, don't they? And, and you know, look at Brendan Rodgers today. You know, he's appointed at Celtic now. He left them under some sort of a cloud back along when he went to Leicester. He suddenly finds himself out of work and he's back at Celtic. It's 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 just a, an ongoing merry-go-round, and you know a lot of managers. Um, you can almost say make a living out of it, if you see what I mean. The the the, the firing and, and hiring because you know the the contracts are, are structured in such a way that, in generally terms, they have to be paid up, don't they, Steve? I mean, there's, there's... well. It, and that, it depends really what, what you've negotiated. You know, I mean, I remember we had this conversation about Yeovil, didn't we, when everybody was yeah. going on about Darren Way and he'd got a three year contract. Um, but like we said, the, the contract's only as valid as your termination clause. So if, if your termination clause in a five year contract is, is you get three months' money, 
It doesn't matter if you've got four years and 11 months left, you you know, you get three months money. Mm. Um, and so I think, you know, the clubs are quite savvy about it now. The agents are savvy. Gary O'Neill would probably, because it was his first opportunity to go into manager's job, he was probably quite easy with the negotiations. I don't know, obviously, but that tends to be the way it is because you've not got a lot of bargaining power. So you tend to be quite easy with the negotiations. So it might have been a, you know, an easy option for Bournemouth to get rid of him, but the thing, the thing that gets me more than anything is we always seem to think that foreign coaches are better. Yeah. Because he's taken, he's, he's taken, is it Vallecano, Vallecano to eleventh in La Liga? Well, that's probably not as good an achievement as taking Bournemouth yeah. to fifteenth in the Premier League. With yeah. all due respect, um, and it's a Madrid, you know, Vallecano's in Madrid, so it's a Madrid team, so it's a capital city, so it's easy to attract players. Um, so I just look at it and I think to myself, what do you have to do if you're a young English coach? at the top end to prove that you're worthy of, of the position? Well, the answer is just change your nationality and become Spanish or Portuguese or something. You're turning into Sam Allardyce. Well, does that link into... <laughs> yeah, exactly. But statistically, I mean, I did loads of research on that. I think I said before, I did, two, did it twice. And the research is, is so damning. If you look at the other major leagues around Europe, you don't get foreign managers dominating the big clubs like you do in England. It's no wonder English coaches never win anything. We never give them a team that's going to win anything. Well, AD just sort of touched on there about Brendan Rodgers, who's gone back to Celtic. So, Who's he replaced, AD? Yeah, go on, AD. What did you say? What, who's, who did... who's Brendan Rodgers coming to replace? I still didn't hear what you said because Hilda was ruttering. Say it again, slowly. Who has Brendan Rodgers replaced at Celtic? Uh, who has he replaced? Oh, yes, uh, Ange. <laughs> That's all you're getting out of me. Keep this going. <laughs> Ange. Keep going. Ange. <laughs> all right. That's all you're getting. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, the um, the the point I was making was about Brendan Rogers yeah. is that he's somebody who, you know, his stock, in the managerial sense, has gone down because Leicester found their on their found their way on the way out of the Premier League this season. Okay, he wasn't there when they officially went down, but they're on a downward trajectory. And with the squad that they've got, you'd expect them to do better. But he did get um, some eighth place finishes. And they were, I think they were always in the top half in the first year, uh, first four years that he was there. Uh, European well, place. Two won seasons the FA... in a row. Two seasons in a row. Yeah. They the one place outside of... Yes, the... exactly. Yeah, they did. They were on the Champions League together. until the last last day. Won the FA yeah. Cup as well. But finds himself back at Celtic. And it's probably a good fit for both. Because Brendan, yeah, all right, he's been there before. So it might be seen as a step backwards. But I reckon Brendan Rodgers is arguably you know, too good for the level that he now finds himself in. So if Celtic get 18 months, two years out of him before he goes somewhere else, and then it just keeps Celtic on a upward mobile trajectory from the work that Ange had done, considering that before Ange had got there, they were struggling 25 points behind Rangers. So maybe that is a move that does make sense for all parties. Is that fair, Rick? Yeah, well, he doesn't have work to do, does he? Basically, he's got a treble winning squad he's just not got to uh to cock it up safe pair of hands it's yeah. where the only obstacle he's really got is is how the supporters feel about him in the manner he left last time around what what, what was the point to... of him leaving last time what what was the the uh you know what was he the... went to manage leicester city Adrian. yes i know that but you know is that it or was there some sort of a, an extra you know no that was it 
he wanted to. He left he during the season, himself, didn't he? he? Left during the season, yeah. which yeah. I think is what hurt them. Yeah, but a very similar situation to like Nathan when he was at Luton, and Nathan left Luton yeah. at Christmas and went to Stoke City, mm. and the fans were really bitter and vitriolic and, and you know criticised him massively, and obviously it didn't work out at Stoke, um, and then he went back to Luton, like virtually a season later when they were in real dire straits, and fans soon forgive you because he produced some marvellous results again, got them back up challenging for they you know, got to the playoffs and they didn't didn't quite go up, then they got beaten the semis by Huddersfield. Um, and then they were right on track again when he moved on to to Southampton. So the fans will will forgive Brendan yeah. Rodgers as long as he wins football matches. Um, and, and Celtic's a big club, you know. So I, I always remember when club. Brendan Rodgers was at Swansea, and and his technical uh, approach to the game and the way that he had Swansea playing at the time was was considered way above you know ahead of its time. Uh, so, so he's he's clearly a very talented coach, isn't he? Well, he was the, it was the best football I had seen in my lifetime up until that point as a Liverpool supporter. Yes, I know that we didn't win anything in the end, but just in terms of Rick, the actual, <laughs> in terms you, of the actual football itself, did you see them with? It Graham was really, Sunes? really good. Hey, did you ever see them with Graham Souness and Phil Neal and Tommy Smith? And did you ever see them? Because they didn't play some bad football, you know. Are you talking when to they me? won the Champions League? I never watched Liverpool. It's a matter of, a matter of principle. I certainly must have been out that day. Yeah, not out of the womb, anyway. <laughs> it was black and white telly, to be fair. <laughs> no, but I think you're you're right. Aidy does play, you know, quote unquote, the right way, and I'm surprised that he finds himself in a position where he feels he has to go back to Scotland to kind of rebuild a reputation. Yeah, that, that is what it is. Maybe the money's got something to do with it. And also, they are a massive club. It's guaranteed yeah. Champions, oh, yeah. League football Champions League football. Had. So, what other job in the Premier League yeah, exactly. it, is he exactly. going to get if that's where he wants to be, you know? Yeah. Be quite I mean, Sostokoglu's just gone to Tottenham, hasn't he? And Chelsea, yeah. you know, so they're all sorted. So, there's no vacancies. So, where's yeah. he at? where else is he going to go? And he'll be at Celtic for two, three seasons. Well, this is the thing, isn't it? Rebels. Because... For the, for, the t- for the teams that do end up losing their managers inevitably between now and December, Rogers is the kind of name that would then come up to take on yeah. that kind of job. But I guess, you know, having just moved, you'll probably see that through now, at least for the for the yeah. year or two. Well, I mean, expect. what has he got to achieve there, though? That's the point. I mean, so long as he keeps them in the Champions League, which, which surely, you know, is not that difficult after all, is it? Um you know, I would have thought that, that his job there is going to be considered a, a success if he, if they're in the Champions League for uh, you know, yeah, but one, got two, three years. He he's got everything he needs to manage a successful, a winning team. Yeah. So it's almost, like a, to be really cynical about it, it's almost like a holding bay for him, isn't it? His stock will be better than it is at the moment because he's currently, the, his most recent job, the team got relegated. So he'll go to a team where he will win things. So his name has a bit more allure to it the next time uh, a suitable vacancy comes up. Mm. Yeah, no, that's perfectly true. Yeah, well, we will see. We will see what what happens there. Um, Rick, before I moved on to my next point, I want to make yeah. just a quick apology to you. Because, um, I can enjoy this. <laughs> Here we go. Um, so I said to you earlier this morning that uh, we, we will try to avoid as much chat as possible about all things uh, Saudi Arabian football and sports washing over because we've spoken oh, about it a lot off. over the last couple of weeks. But 
But A.D. Hopper then told me that Steve Rutter is going to be on the podcast tonight. So, Steve, I have to ask you, as somebody who's been out in Saudi and seen what's, what's going on, firstly, what's your reaction to the new dominance, should we say, in the transfer market that's happening in Saudi? And secondly, is there the correct infrastructure to go along with all this, with all this influx of talent that's now coming into the country. Are you happy to take that one? <laughs> yeah. No, no, listen, they've got the one commodity that they need, which is money. Um, and so if there isn't infrastructure, they will build it in the blink of an eye. Um, the question you've got to ask yourself is, like, is it somewhere that people are going to want to go and, and be? It was like China. If you look at China six, seven years ago, everybody was going to China and then it imploded. Um, I think it's a, I think it's a, a vehicle at the moment that the Saudis are using um, to promote the country. Um, there's some great people over there. I work, as you know, I do work out there and there's some great people over there involved in football who are just football fans like the rest of us. Um, they will throw billions at it in order to try and make it one of the best leagues in the world. Will it ever reach that level? I don't think it will, because it just lacks the, the history and the culture um, and the profile of, of the major European leagues or South American leagues. So, yes, for a few years, people will go chasing the money and then people will get tired of it and it will just revert back to the norm, I think. It's the way of Wouldn't life over mind? there different, though, Steve. I mean, you know, we're used to our own temperature and, and you know, just generally living in England. How different is it from a... Uh, a living point of view over there for a European. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it, listen. In terms of like lifestyle, it's massively different. I mean, we we land at sort of two o'clock in the morning, and the roads are rammed because it's the only time of day that it's it's cool enough to go out and about. Mm. Um, you know, so if you're in Riyadh, and it, you know, it can be fifty degrees, fifty-two degrees um, in the heat of the day. So th you do have to adjust. I mean, we were doing coaching sessions on the field at six o'clock in the morning to to get the sessions in before the temperature started building. Is there I mean, seasons at different times as well, Steve, because of the temperatures? Um, like compared to the Premier League and when their schedule is, for instance. I, to be honest, with you, I'm trying to think. I'm not really. I'm not really sure. Um, okay. No, I think it's quite. I think it's quite similar. So, uh, so what what time did the games kick off and that sort of thing? I mean, that must have a bearing on it, surely. Yeah, but I mean, you do, but. You know, if it's 40 degrees at night time, it's 40 degrees at night time. It doesn't matter whether it's 10 o'clock at night or 3 o'clock in the afternoon, does it? If it's 40 mm. degrees, it's 40 yeah. degrees. Um, yeah. Certainly when I went to, to Greece the first time, the, the, the early season games kicked off at like 9.45 at night because of the temperature in Athens and that. So you get used to that sort of stuff. But it's like culturally, it's a, it's a different world, you know, because it's, a, it's an Arab country. Um, there's obviously different protocols and things there. The infrastructure for football, they've got some wonderful stadiums, they've got they have some great training facilities, and money is no object. So anything they're short of, they will invest in to improve. I just I just think it will be one of those things. People will chase the money for a couple of years and then realise that actually, you know, you can play for Al-Hilal and win the Asian Champions League, but is it quite as good as playing against Real Madrid and winning the European Champions League? don't think so. I did see, Steve, as well, that a lot of this is to try and drive the, the tourism up. And there is sort of a a real strong will to try and get a World Cup held there. Um, do you think that this is all part of it, to try and get themselves into a position where likely in the next 20 years, a World Cup probably will be held in Saudi? 
Yeah, listen, I think they've put a bid in with Egypt and Greece, which sounds very odd, but I think they've put a, a three-country bid in to host the World Cup, obviously on three different continents as well. Um, but, so they've already submitted that as a joint bid. I'm pretty sure they will submit an individual bid at some point in time to host it. Um, they saw what Qatar did. They've obviously got far more resources than Qatar, a much bigger country. They've got a much better footballing infrastructure to start with. Um, but, yeah, so they've got everything going for them in terms of that. They've got endless amounts of money so they can put into any resources that they need. I just think there's, like we're talking about Yeovil and the history and that about the branding, you know, and I just think there's something about the tradition of European football and stuff that it will always stay at the height of the at the height of the pyramid in terms of you know the football pyramid it'll always be the top league do the players have their feet chopped off if they miss a penalty no i don't think they do that sort of thing anymore it's, it's actually it's i have i have to say i was quite surprised by how liberal it is in certain parts certainly in the bigger cities like riyadh and jeddah um i was told that if you go further up into like burayadu and places like that it's still a little bit more sort of like um fundamental um, but no, it's listen. This it's evolving like the rest of the world. It's adapting to culture. They can't avoid things like TikTok and you know Zoom calls and all that sort of stuff. So the people have so much more access to the rest of the world um, that they have embraced it. And I think what they're saying now is, look, let's let's get ahead of the game. So they see sport as a way of doing that. What sort yeah, of well, level would you uh, would you compare their standard of play? to in Europe at the moment? Uh, well, his, historically, it's nowhere near as good, obviously. I mean, when you, when you look at, I think South Korea have got the most teams have got to the Asian Champions League final, then it's Saudi Arabia a second. And you've got teams like Al-Hilal who've done it, I think, four times in the last six They're years. They're trying to get into the top 10 leagues, aren't they, Steve? I think it was yeah. one of the, the driving be one of their Yeah, be one of their KPIs, yeah. Um, but if you look at Al-Hilal, you know, you've got people like, they had until recently, Bafatembi Gomis was playing. You know, he was at Swansea City. We were talking about Swansea earlier, the big French centre-forward, about six foot four. You know, wouldn't survive in the in the championship, top end of the championship in England. And then you've got people like Eva Banego, who's gone to uh, Al-Shabaab, who was a very, very good player in Spain for a number of years, but he's now about 37. Um, so, historically, there have been players that haven't quite been able to maintain the top levels in Europe anymore, or players that have gone over the top. What they're doing now, because I think they've just bought the boy Ruben Nevers, haven't they, from Wolves? I was yeah. just going to say that. Are those kind All of signings gonna, are going to be the ones that right. possibly yeah. change the landscape a little bit? Because well, from from his point of view, because it's all right for possibly for us to sit around a podcast and say, oh, um, you know, what's he doing doing that at 26? But then I guess yeah. if you're offered just that amount of money, which not only sets you up, it sets your family up, their family their family beyond that like it's that much money yeah, yeah. it's just too difficult but, to turn well, down because you'd be silly it, it, not to well it isn't isn't because you know if, if you're already a multi-millionaire yeah why does becoming a multi-multi-millionaire make that much difference to you because if you, that's you, the you can't you can't spend what you've got anyway you're 26 do you want to win the champions league do you want to win the premier league do you want to play for Bayern munich real madrid now what they're doing now is they've gone for the Ronaldos of this world. They've tried to have a double for a few other players. They haven't quite got them. Uh, obviously, Messi's gone to Inter Miami. It looks like Busquets is going there as well and Suarez. But what they're doing, like you said, they have decided that the only way to upskill their players, because they don't export players from Saudi Arabia to other countries, 
they all play the 100% of the Saudi team at the World Cup play in the Saudi Premier League. So they've decided the best way to upskill their own players is to get better players to come and play with them. So now they've gone another level above what they were doing before. They're not just going for the Ronaldo's or 37, 38. They've said, hang on, let's spend some you know serious money and get some decent players in. So, yeah, it's another step. It is quite worrying. But as I said before, if you remember Oscar left Chelsea and went to Beijing, Wuhan or somebody in China for gazillion dollars. Um and then the Chinese league blew up after three or four years. Where do you stand on the Rick? Just very quickly, just Kobe, you yep. can help answer this point actually. That a lot of people have been saying, "Oh, well, if Ruben Neves goes, for example, then he'll just his career's done because no one's going to want to buy him afterwards because people will think, yep. well, where's he been for a couple of years?'" But I don't necessarily agree with that because people players have come back from China and and they've gone on to have relatively successful European career still, depending on what age that they are. Um, and not only that, Rick, the amount of money that's there, you only need to go for a year and then might think, OK, I've cashed yeah. in and then come back again. So say Ruben Nevers did that, he'd still be 27 and in the prime of his career. Just just a point on the, the Saudi Pro League is rated as the 58th highest quality league in the world. So that's the standard of play that they're going to. I take your point that you could, you only need to do it for a season or two, but I mean, I'll say that, Steve, do you think that are they going about this a little bit ask about face? I know everybody's instant, but wouldn't they be better off getting all the best coaches in the world and all the best facilities in the world and building from that level? I know it takes a bit more patience, yeah. but improving the quality of their own players. Yeah, well, they're not they're not. They're not renowned for their patience, to be perfectly honest. I can well imagine. Um, yeah. There is there isn't a single Saudi manager in the Saudi Premier League, exactly. and there are only two in the first division, which is the league below. Yeah. Um, so we are actually at the moment running the pro license course out there. We've got twenty four candidates on it, and we're taking them through the AFC pro license. Um, but it's a bit like England, you know, they're perceived to be not as good as the foreigners, so they get the foreigners in. So it's like a shortcut yeah. in a way. They think we'll import foreign expertise because they're better than our lads. Um, and it's that, a and house that's what, on sand, isn't it? Really? It, as I say, they, they've got so much money, they can maintain it for a considerable period of time, to be honest. Yeah. And if it starts to get more popular, they get better TV deals and things, they might be able to sort of like regenerate the revenues to, to reinvest. Other than that, it will be one of those things that they do for five, six, seven years and then say, oh, I've had enough of this, and they'll move you'd on have, to something else. You'd have thought, wouldn't you, that they'd have had enough of it anyway, because we sent Richard Keyes and Andy Gray over there. Um, they haven't managed to kill off any interest in the, in football in that part of the world. And if anyone was going to do it, I thought it would have been those two. It does beg the question that the, the amount of money that these guys are earning now, I mean, Nevers being a prime example, uh, you know, I wonder what his financial advisor tells him to do. Because, you know, when you get that sort of money coming into your life from from what he's been getting at Wolves, I mean, it must be such a such a cultural change to his whole lifestyle to suddenly well you know i bought the yacht today i think i'll buy maybe three ferraris this afternoon and you know i mean it, i i can't see how I, sh I should think he must have to be a very strong personality to not let it completely ruin and wreck his life ad i wouldn't want to be in a position to tell the wife that i turn that amount of money down <laughs> well no that's another aspect of it but you see what i'm saying it, you know yeah. it, it, it to suddenly go from 
you know, I don't know, hundred thousand pounds. From having ten Ferraris in the garage to having fifty Ferraris in the garage. How much do you need? Well, exactly. I agree. I agree totally. Uh, you know, it's I easy just to say that from, from the point of view of somebody that's never had that much money, and it would be that. And surely that initial thing is that there was a there was a poll I, poll I saw today that said, "What would you rather do? Earn one hundred and fifty thousand a week and play in the Premier League, or half a million a week and play in the Saudi League in the arse end of nowhere?" I mean, what would you rather, career-wise? They're both going to set you up for life. It depends on your competitive instinct, I suppose, and what standard you want to, to have for yourself. Surely. And they're pros. Yeah. yeah. No, you're right. Yeah. But it, 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 it just strikes me that it's, it's an aspect of the whole uh, culture over there that, that, that pay, you know, we're at Europeans, we're used to European standards, and we go over there and suddenly we're getting money thrown at us like it's just ridiculous amounts. I mean, it, it must be very, very difficult to adjust your life and not I mean, what, what would you do with it anyway you know hasn't hasn't Stephen Gerrard just taken a job yeah oh, so. it's not actually uh, been confirmed has it, is it it's not? going on for a while but somebody somebody I mean I just heard something today and they're saying that he's been offered more money than Jurgen Klopp's getting a Liverpool to go and manage Alitifak yeah. and you think hmm right okay but it's it, I actually I mean we, we you know we love football we're all involved in football all the time I find it immoral that people can be spending that sort of money. I, I can understand it in a context of a Beckham or Ronaldo or Messi where they're global icons and they're going to generate revenues through sponsorship, merchandise and all that sort of stuff. But I can't imagine Ruben Neves is going to sell, you know, a million Ruben Neves shirts around no. the world. To no. So where where's the money coming from? It's just a black hole. Somebody's just throwing the money at him because Steve, he's a half has, decent has player. Rick, has Rick hit the right point and fact that it's when the managers and coaches decided that there's opportunity there. So just take, for instance, like Jose Barino, he's looking for a new um, yeah. chapter after Roma. It certainly looks that way. Um, he's a renowned name in world football that's still got years left at the top level. If someone like him decided to go over there, that would possibly be the catalyst of, oh, hang on, from a manage managerial um, perspective. Because, yes, China had the likes of... Rafa and I think Marcelo Lippi went out there, didn't they, amongst yeah, yeah. others, but yeah. not maybe quite in the same stratospheric name as, say, a Mourinho. Yeah, no, that's right. And, and there's there's a few of them, isn't there? That's what that's what they took Ronaldo as a player, obviously. Um, and obviously now Nuno Espirito Santo's out there, so yeah. the first of the Premier League sort of batch that have gone over there. Didn't he just win the league? I think he did. Yeah. yeah, I think yeah, they did. League, yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, it's just one of those things. It's like the golf, isn't it? You know, you've got the LIV thing, and then that was short-lived, wasn't it? Because that's split, and now they've joined back together again, and that's Saudi money. I, I, I find the whole thing a bit distasteful. I understand why they're trying to do it. Um, they're trying to build the brand. They're trying to promote their league. They think that's the best way to develop their own players by keeping them in Saudi, but playing with much better quality foreigners. But the sorts of sums of money we're talking about are just ludicrous. And when you look what's happening with things like the health service and schooling and all that, you think, blind me. Here, here. Take one year's salary off one of the players and you could probably yeah. solve world. And I'm not criticising the players because if somebody offered me £300 million a year to go and kick a ball around, I'd be taking their money. Um, exactly. So you know, I'm not being moralistic, but I look at it, I just think it's obscene, really. So let's move move away um, from the Saudi league then and we'll we'll yeah. watch that with... 
extreme interest because I'm sure that there's going to be more and more that falls and and um, and happens over the next couple of weeks. I just want to dive into everybody's favourite chat, which is international football, very briefly because I just wanted to touch on the fact that. I'm sure that all three of you are aware that it was the Nations League final yesterday <laughs> between Spain and Croatia. Croatia. But Rick, I'll come to you first. Is this right. one of those, though, where we've, we've spoken before about this this new format, but it certainly seems to work OK, the game last night in the final finished nil-nil. But generally speaking, they're very competitive fixtures in terms of what when you actually get to this semi-final final stage. And I don't know if you watched any of it yesterday, I'm assuming no, but the players there, they really wanted to win a trophy. And regardless of what people may think of it as a competition, but it's still something worth winning if you it's, are a player, isn't it? It's certainly preferable to the international friendlies that were there before. It's, Modric you... looked absolutely gutted that he didn't yeah. and, get it for well, that's what, that's As a player, that's that's what you're in it for, isn't it? To get your, uh, to win trophies. And I totally understand that. But yeah, if you, if we can, we need to have international fixtures above and beyond the qualifying games for the major tournaments, which are tedious, tedious enough in themselves. So to give it a competitive basis, gives it a bit more of, uh, of validity. Do we need to know. give it a bit of time to breathe as well? Because we've only had three competitions so far, so it's still very much in its infancy. So if we're 10, yeah. 20 years down the line, you see more and more teams win it, well, one, and then suddenly one, one, it becomes one, more of a thing to win. Well, one good thing about it is the, the way it's tiered. And so you're playing, if, if you're San Marino, you're not playing teams that are going to beat you 14 nil every week. You're in amongst teams that are of a comparable standard. So at least you get more competitive football, which hopefully will mean that the smaller nations get a chance to improve. I could be naive in thinking that, but I would imagine that's why they what they've done it. But it's just international football. It's just outside of the major tournaments. It's just very, very boring. And whatever they can do to try and make it interesting. And why would I be watching it? There's an Ashes test match on. Well, why, yeah. why would I be watching... Quite. Play are you the same opinion aid that it's good that they've come up with something to make it more competitive and when we get to this stage it is something worth winning but as rick says outside of the major tournaments it is quite difficult to get behind because you're normally seeing teams that are just so mismatched against each other that nine times out of ten you're watching a training session yeah i think there's two things to bear in mind here first of all yes you're dead right it is very boring and you know my feelings on international football at the best of times. But uh, I see now they're talking about some sort of uh, extended World Cup of Clubs competition. Uh, they're talking about. Uh, so again, I don't know if it's... I think I, I only briefly scanned over it, but I think that it was going to be every four years possibly, but it's going to be sort of kind of like the, the Champions League, but a bit bigger, I think, is the idea. Well, that's, that's just FIFA are jealous of UEFA's product in yeah. the Champions League. They've been banging on about this for over 20 years. I know, but the problem's going to be, if, if it, it seems like it's beginning to get a little bit closer, um, you know, how are they going to fit all these games in? You know, there's more games, more games coming along all the time. And I, I just... Well, that's, I a, just... that's a very good point, Aid. I just want to take your point there and, and ask Steve that, because every year, particularly in the Premier League, we see, oh, if you're going to make a change, like we've just seen with Bournemouth, or oh, you want the coach to come in, have a good pre-season. 
does preseason matter as much as it once did? Because the, as AD suggests, everything's rolling on, but maybe you don't need to run them into the ground in the summer because only three weeks ago, prior to that, yeah. they were actually in a major yeah. final or something. And yeah. I don't know if it possibly well, needs to change. Is speak, that fair? Speak to Rhys Murphy about uh, um, uh, pre-season because I was talking to him in an interview last week and he was only absolutely hammering on about the fact that you know, if you don't get a decent pre-season from a fitness perspective, you know, the whole season is, is affected. It's not just... A bit different at their level, I suppose, because well, they did well, finish maybe, when... But, but the principle's yeah. the same, I would have thought, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, the first thing that's interesting is they, they were playing the final at the same time that all the other countries in Europe were playing European qualifiers. Yeah. So now they've got to find space in their calendars to get those games in because they've missed two games in the European qualifying group. So obviously Croatia are in Wales group, so they'll, they've got to fit those in somewhere now. And the calendar is just becoming over-congested. And, and they're exactly right. The lads are right. It's FIFA and UEFA at loggerheads playing politics over who's going to generate the most money, who's got the best product, etc., etc. Um, FIFA want to extend the World Cup to 32 teams next in, in America. So there'll be eight Asian qualifiers, for example, instead of, um, and it's just more and more games. So, and as a, as a coach, you like you're actually telling your players to go off and have a holiday because they're just not getting any break. You look at the, the Man City lads. Gareth's left them out. Luckily, it was Malta away. What would he have done if that had actually been, you know, I'm not, I'm not even sure he's in England's group to be perfectly honest. If that was the next best team in the England's group and it was an away game, would he have been able to leave them all out and just give them a rest? Bearing in mind they've only just played the Champions League final a week and a half ago. And, it, and it's ridiculous. Mm. Some, somebody's got to look at the calendar and, and start working out what really needs to be there and what doesn't. But at the, at the very top of the game, your Premier League teams, and particularly your big six, your pre-season friendlies, that they, their pre-season tour is basically a marketing. It is. It's more than anything else. But it's ridiculous because you give them a, you know, they have a break and then they, they take them to the other side of the world, like you say, because they've got a sponsorship deal with Adidas. So they go and play one game in Australia, one game in yep. America, and then one game in Russia or somewhere on their way back. You're like, well, how does that work then? Because that's still loading the players in terms of travelling and everything. Yeah. But the commercial people are saying, no, no, come on, generate some revenues. So I don't know, it's crazy. But I didn't watch the game. It would have to be honest. I saw they lost on penalties, Croatia. Um, but uh, you know, I won't lose any sleep over it. Well, talking, talk, talking of um, losing sleep, um, Steve, I'll ask this question to you because I don't know if you've seen that Diego Simeone has um, announced in an interview that um, he wants to ensure that his players um, are getting regular, shall we say, coitus oh, <laughs> for, right. the, for the listeners. Um, right. I just wanted to ask, is that something you've ever asked of your players? What? That they're That's getting, what you mean? Like, they're, they're getting regular. They, how's your father in order to make regular, sure maintain that their levels of fitness? It isn't. It isn't something that we've asked. We'll ask about their general well-being, so that might come into it somewhere. Um, but I do know an Italian coach who banned his players from having sex forty-eight hours before a game because he oh, thought it so the opposite. Interesting. The opposite because he thought it diminished their physical capabilities. Diego's probably thinking they'll come into work with a smile on their face. Yeah, I was so, going to say before a game. Would yeah, you so we put a nookie ban on just so they're all really hacked off when it comes to playing. Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm surprised because it doesn't make any sense because Rick 
you know, he's a very defensive coach. So is he is he asking a very defensive performance from the players there? <laughs> I've no idea of his techniques in that department, but uh, it does seem a very silly only thing to do. Absolutely, but uh, it did it did catch my eye. It did catch. It's my testosterone, eye. isn't it? That's what he's he's going on. He probably feeds them raw meat and tells tells them to get the leg over before the game, and uh, they have a better performance. Yeah. Um, moving on. Yeah, moving on. Um, broadcasting. AD, I'm going to come to you because Sky Sports have announced that Martin Tyler is going to be stepping down for the new season. Um, lots of talk about him as a commentator, generally from fans, that he is considered to be one of the best, but has just maybe stayed on a little bit too long. I guess that's all down to the eye of the beholder. Um Aidy, your thoughts? You, you've interviewed Martin, and he is a, a voice that's synonymous with Sky. And regardless of what your thoughts are, he's going to be a big miss because, in many ways, he was very much the Premier League when you look back and you've got those highlights of certain games in your own head. Well, I think the first thing to say is, at last, we seem to be getting to the end of that Aguero clip because I am so sick to the back teeth of that Aguero clip. Aguero quick. Um, I'm just sick of it. So that's one point. Secondly, the the replacement of Peter Drury, um, I'm quite familiar Quality. with. Pardon? I, I think that's a Absolute I think that's a masterstroke. That is the best decision they could have made. He's the yeah. best commentator ever. And not only that, he, I, I'm quite familiar with him because he's done a lot of um, rallying um, commentary and stuff over here, and I quite enjoy a bit of rallying. So I think he's very good. And yeah, I mean, you know, surely he, I think Martin Tyler's seventy-seven. He's 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 a, a very very good commentator. He's been the voice of Sky, um, but I mean, it seems like there's a, the night of the long knives at Sky, and everybody's getting chopped out. Um, you know, apart from Jeff Stelling, and now he's gone. And um, um, who's the other guy? Brian um, Sinis. Just being just being there. very cynical. Jeff from, Screams, Screams. With the with the appointment of um, Peter Drury, because Rick, like you, I agree that I think he's one of the, the best. I think he's an absolute poet on the mic. Yeah. But is there also kind of a, it's easy for us fans to say that he'd be a good appointment because we only really see clips and bits and pieces of his best work because he's been on other broadcasters, he's worked with CBS in America. And that the there's, a da- there's a danger that if fans of England watch him, every week for the next five years that suddenly people will then have the same opinion of him as they do Tyler. Is that just an inevitable nature that we find ourselves in as a society? I think whatever people, even let just, if you, even if you just based it on those clips that everybody's heard, and then you compare it to the standard of what Sky's in-house commentators are at the moment anyway, there's nobody that you'd want to take up from within in-house that you would want to become the main commentator mm. They've got in the best in the business. Unless I leave Three Valleys Radio, of course. I was going to say, he's, he's, he's <laughs> only, only voice is comparable to uh, you and Thorby when you can get him off a golf course. Well, let, we'll, let, we'll let the listeners decide. But I believe that's, I think, just about time now for yeah, this not, week's episode. Not a bad effort, mate. About uh, 30 seconds to go. OK, so we, we will um, wrap Simeone it up. Simeone time. Simeone time, yes, exactly. Rick, you thank like. you. Thank you very much, as always. Always a pleasure. Uh, Steve, thank you very much for coming on, mate. No, no problem, Paul. Uh, AD, thank you very much as well, because you have been listening to... Football Bloody Hell! Football Bloody Hell!